When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Raymond Vega claimed his first goal for Tottenham. And Vega. There's no flag, and Tottenham have the lead. Here's the resulting corner from Zinola, and that time it is in! Tottenham are 3-2 up, and it's a goal for Ramon Vega. Ramon Vega's equaliser, initiating the response, stand up if you want the truth. It's a goal for Ramon Vega. It's 3-2. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening to us as we continue to fight and battle the coronavirus. And what we thought we'd do is, again, we take you away for an hour or two to give you some escapism, to give you some light relief and to interview another former Spurs player. And we're delighted to have him join us for this next hour or so. John, how are you? Hello, guys. Yeah, I'm doing really well, surviving COVID-19. And, and as always, I'm looking forward to this really special show. We've got a, a top guest lined up this afternoon. And uh, and Ricky, I'll, I'll let you introduce the man himself. Well, thank you. Well, I'll say just again there, as John said, we are still battling, fighting COVID-19. Our thoughts go out to everyone, our listeners, people out there, everybody. Keep on staying safe. Keep in your houses. Let's keep on following that government legislation and the rules laid out by them. So we're delighted to welcome to the last word on Spurs, former defender, although he scored quite a lot of goals during his time at Tottenham. Delighted, 64 league games, seven goals. Ramon Vega joins us. Ramon, how are you? Hello, guys. How are you? How are you doing? Not bad, not bad at all. Ramon, thank you for joining us. If the world was as crazy as it is at the moment, we've decided to delve back into the 90s. And I think, as I said to you off air as a joke, you know, that time in Spurs, it was a bit of a crazy time. We always kind of say to fans that are kind of in a modern era that they look at Tottenham now and we may be going through a bit of a transition period that, to be fair, the 90s, that felt like a continuous transition. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, Ramon. <laughs> uh, thanks, you, first of all, for having me on here. And of course, it's nice to, to go back to the 90s. Obviously, everybody now is going for a very, very typical moment anyway. What's going on now worldwide? I think the key part is so everybody keeps safe and stays at home. And I hope everybody understands that, that now we have to stay at home for the sake of 
be safe, everybody, you know. But it's nice to talk about some good memories in the 90s. Uh, I definitely had some good ones, of course, bad ones as well. That's what happened. I think that's part of the Spurs as well, to be honest with you. I think the fans has to say it as well. So, But uh, in this case, I think I'm, I'm gladly uh, and happy to talk about the 90s, you know. Fantastic. And John, I've got another man like you. We're hitting 30. Those 90s, we'll never forget them, John, will we, in our time? It's a funny time for supporters of Tottenham Hotspur because it was sort of twinned with the, the greatest success our uh, arch enemies had down the road. So it was sort of, you know, Tottenham had some uh, roller coasters in terms of results, uh, managers. There was a lot of ups and downs at the club, um, as well as our neighbours doing so well at the time, who I won't mention the name of. Um, so, yeah, it was a real, uh, I'd say, character building, Ricky, for somebody like me and you. And, and even more so maybe for Ramon, and he'll explain that later on in the show. I'm sure he will. <laughs> Listen, we're going to get straight onto it. Ramon, you were born yeah. in Switzerland to Spanish immigrant parents. Yes. You specifically mentioned in the past that you don't forget where you came from. Your parents needed to look for jobs in the country. They didn't even speak the language. You grew up in a house that were mm. fighting for a job, always looking for the next possible mm. one. That gave mm. you that kind of immigrant attitude that, do you feel for you, moulded you as a character? Definitely, without a doubt. I think uh, you can say that whatever environment you grow up, uh, that actually builds you for future, you know. And I think it's important for whatever background you're coming from or races, religions, whatever it is. I think that really gives you kind of the, 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 the initial of your life. And in my case, you know, my parents, you know, let's say, coming to Switzerland without speaking German or French and only Spanish in those days. Uh, I would say it's m- remarkable anyway, in the first place, to go, they went all the way to Switzerland to get a job, you know. Uh, in those days, can you imagine in, in, the, in the 50s was not as as easy to 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 travel especially when when franco well that's called a dictatorship and franco in in, in spain was all over there that's an easy part to do it and so yeah I, I grew up in an environment where yeah that was immigrant or pretty much most like from very young age needed to translate to my parents all the documentation and grew up in Switzerland was an environment with already German was my first language to start with and then French and Italian was in school as well you know so but then at home I was speaking Spanish with my parents as you also just mentioned you know they came Spanish speaking without knowing German or French or anything like that so me born and grew up there uh, it has given me an, an enormous advantage in terms for the future I can actually only say or uh, later on, 20, 30 years later, you won't know when you're seven, eight years old, that actually you can speak three to four languages, how much advances it can give you in the future, you know. And I'm very glad my parents actually done that move, if, if I look back, you know. Uh, and, and But at the same time, uh, they, they, they give me the, the humble side of it, that you have to work for every single penny you want to earn. And, you know, I think... Uh, Money doesn't come easy, to be honest with you. And I think uh, that attitude and, uh, and humbleness uh, has given me to me all my life, you know. Ramon, you actually began your professional career back in 1989. It was in the second season, or should I say, yeah, second season with Grasshoppers that you became a linchpin. Mm. Three titles with the club. You played 67 league games in the 94 and 95 and then 95 and mm. 96 campaigns. As Grasshoppers mm. made it consecutive title wins, what was it like for you mm. starting your career in Switzerland? Well, first of all, you know, Switzerland um, is a very specific football country. It's not like England, Germany or Spain or Italy, where in those days were the biggest countries in, in football in the world. You know, Switzerland is a small country. You know, everybody was saying, you know, they're making cheese, watches and banking, of course, you know, one of the attitudes there, you know. Me as a kind of an immigrant 
kind of boy, in this case, Spanish background, uh, it was also not easy at the beginning because obviously you needed to gain the respect from your Swiss, Swiss counterpart, your players as such, you know. And to be playing for one of the, I would say, the best team in Switzerland, Grasper Club Zurich in those days, uh, uh, it was an honour to even to, to, to be part of them and be part of the team. And then winning for them so many times over eight, nine years I was playing for them, it's, uh, it's a great thing, you know. During your time with Zurich, Zurich Business School in your spare time doing it in finance, was it always sort of a backup plan for you in case you never quite made it as a professional footballer? I think it came about totally default, to be honest with you. Uh, I won't call it the backup plan in, in this case. It was totally, football was first of all my first uh, passion to start with, okay? But that comes back again from my parents and my mother, where saying football, yeah, it's not kind of a job. You know, we came here to have a better life in Switzerland, to have better opportunity, etc. You know, and Switzerland, as I said, was not a football country. So you do, you couldn't say, okay, you're going to leave out of football, you can earn out of football. You know, either you have to be a lawyer, you have to be a doctor, or you have to be in banking as one of the major industry there. And my mother was really pushing to do. Some and education, you know. Um, so when Russell Clubs came actually to my house, to my mother, you know, and was saying, yeah, we want to have him as a professional. And my mother said, he will not be a professional 100%. He has to study. So pretty much eyebrows came from the club manager. He said, what? What are you talking about? You know, they were not used to somebody telling that. And my mother actually fired it that I get an university uh, and, uh, and, and a, a kind of uh, educational let's say, semi-professional job as a footballer there, you know. And if I look back now today, I think it was the best choice ever and the best thing happened for me for going forward, you know. Yeah, it seems to have worked out really well for you. It's not well documented, which is youngster Oliver Skip. He also completed an economics mm. A-level, mm. certainly, and then made his Premier League debut the following day. So it mm. shows that some people are still interested in thinking ahead of other options, maybe when they, they finish up with the game. Um, so obviously mm. that proved to be a very shrewd move by you, Ramon. To be honest, in those days, in the 80s, 90s, you know, the football was around the world. I don't think they had the opportunity to even have that kind of educational background. First of all, is from, from the background they're coming from, as such, you know, that didn't, you know, parents either didn't have the money or didn't have the opportunity to, to put their kids in a proper uh, school education, you know. So football was pretty much the number one escape route to actually earn some uh, substantial money or, or make a, lot, a living out of it, you know. So that that's one one thing. But at the same time, uh, we were kind of pioneering, I would say, in the 90s, you know, already. And grasshoppers were actually with me at one of the... Pro prototypes we call it to say football and education can actually work very well together because it's not everybody uh, frankly saying uh, can be a professional player and if it's not happening at least you've got something to back up even at 19 20 or 21 years old you can have an injury you can have you know such a bad season or the manager doesn't want you and you're suddenly standing out without the contract you know if you have nothing done until 23 25 years old uh, as such and you have an education at least you've got something to back up and i think this is today i think a lot of has learned off that period in the last 20, 30 years. And I think a lot of youngsters start to realise, or parents start to realise, okay, my little son has a dream to be a professional player in football, but you know what? You need to have also a backup. Whatever education you, it can be marketing, whatever. It doesn't have to be very complex. At least something you can actually go back into the day-to-day -day routine as a job. You can get a job somewhere outside the football. And I think this is very important for a youngster who wants to be a, a professional player, of course. The best and, and that's job in the world is to be a professional footballer.
you know? Yeah, sort of stood you in, in really good stead. And obviously, once you had that background, but then in the summer of 1996, you had your sort of big move to, to, to Serie A, uh, which at the time mm. was the, the leading league uh, with, with mm. Cagliari. And how mm. did that move come around? And, and who were some of the players you came up against in Serie A? And what was that experience like? Again, it's it went everything very 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 fast in terms of my career. It's just something that happens within two three years. Suddenly, from playing at Grasshopper, suddenly playing in England, opening game against England and in Wembley, you know. And you scored. <laughs> I think I'm not sure if I scored in that one, but I scored on the friendly game. I think one yes, of the one, yeah. one, I but we draw one one. We should actually won against England, and that will be embarrassing in the home ground, to be honest. But saying that. For me, it was like kind of falling in love in English football because playing Wembley at that time in front of all these English fans were absolutely fantastic perceptions. Were. It was fantastic. For me, I said, well, this is the future. Like, I had no clue I was going to go to Spurs at that time because I was still playing for Grosselbus, you know. Uh, but I had a great game. And, uh, and the European Championship is always a great platform for every player in, in the world, you know. If, if you play well, then most of the big clubs are... Or international clubs will come for you. You know that's what happened. That Serie A at that time, I should just rightly say, it was the best league in the world. You were you really playing week in week out with the best strikers in the world. We're talking the Ronaldo, the Brazilian, the Roberto Bachos, uh, Signori, and so on, etc. So much for me, as, yeah, Batistuta exactly. Um, Bobic, Savicevic, Milan, you know, all these guys, all the big players there, you know. For me, as a coming from a small country of Switzerland and a defender, don't forget that at the time Italy was nominated as always the best uh, defenders in the world coming out of Italy. And to be coming from Switzerland to play from Italy as a defender, it was an honour as well, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was great experience. Uh, young, go to the Serie A, play against all these top, 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 Place in the, the world, it has for me to definitely do a better player as well, you know. Just at the age of 22, mm. you was also frequently a member of the Swiss international side under Roy Hodgson. What was it like to play for Roy? Because he's a very experienced manager, still at Crystal Palace at the moment. Did you mm. learn a lot during your time with Roy when you was under the team? Very, very, very much, actually. Well, thanks to Roy Hodgson, pretty much, I had the call to the Swiss national team. Um, I think Roy Hodgson was quite pioneering in a way uh, the Swiss national team was going in the future. As you can see today, I think Swiss national team today is one of the top, I would say, top 15, 20 teams in the world, you know, with quality plays, you know. Uh, I think the time we, in the 90s, we, we pretty much built up the rep reputation that we have quality players in a very small country like Switzerland uh, to produce some quality players. And Roy Hoxon was definitely, with that, that the best uh, uh, manager uh, for the Swiss team and he he called me up already with 18, 19 years old as well to be on the national team uh, be part of it, I didn't play every day but every time uh, sorry, um, but I learned a lot, he was uh, very compassionate, he was very professional but he had also a lot of time for young talented players and I can see that, the same we he made uh, with the England team when he took over one day, so everybody was thinking, oh why he's two young players, I have no experience Look at now that most of the young players playing for the England team, you know. Only seven months yes. later, you sign for Tottenham Hotspur for a transfer fee of 3.75 million. What attracted you to Spurs? And when did you actually first hear of the club's interest? I think Spurs, already in the summer, to be honest to you, inquiring about myself uh, during the European uh, Championship in England, you know, um, 
And but I just didn't want to know about anything at the time because I just wanted to focus for my Swiss national team until it's finished the the tournament, you know. And and then that was the first kind of uh, I heard about uh, Spurs, but no, not just limited, but Leeds in Liverpool at the time as well. Okay, now but Serie A, as you can imagine, is not like the Premier League today. It was obviously very attractive for every single player to play there. As I said, I mentioned just before, you play really, really the best players in the world in terms of strikers, you know. And I think that's something that attracted me in the first place. And when Cullery came in, I said, well, if I have a chance to play with, with the best teams in the world or against the best strikers in the world, why not? That's a great move, you know. And, um, and when six months later, obviously Spurs knocked again, on the door, and then I decided, well, I, can, I think England uh, will be the future for me because I fall in love in the first place when I played the tournament in England, in Wembley, against England. You aside, Jerry Francis, off the cover, impressive outing for Switzerland against England at Euro 1996. Yeah. The former White Hart Lane yeah. chief went as far to suggest that you could be our, as some would say, Tony Adams of Arsenal upon your arrival at Hotspur mm. Way. What did you make mm. of that from Jerry Francis? Was that a man that clearly sold you the club when you first spoke with him about the move? Well, clearly he had a very good opinion about myself, myself, and I think I'm glad that he said that. Of course, Tony Adam is a legend at Arsenal. He's done a very, he was he was very successful, a very good period at Arsenal when when I came to the club already. You know, and I remember that Jerry saying to me, uh, I was club. I think I was not even a month within the club. You know, and also, you know, I like to be the captain, and I, I pretty much said, I'm very humble. Said yes, I'd love to. Well, I'm only a month here. I think there should be an English player to be a captain at the time and to be the leader. And at the time, was Saul Campbell going through the youth rank. And I said, I think he would be the ideal captain to do that uh, than, than myself. Uh, so, yes, I I've offered to be the captain at the time. But in the same time, so I was uh, also realistic in the sales. I think an English player would be much more suitable to be a captain of Tottenham Hotspurs. And I think he was right because Saul Campbell thereafter done a very good job for Tottenham. Yeah. Of course, he went across the road again, to be honest with you. Uh, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> in the same time, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but in the same time, I think it gives Saul a big confidence uh, to 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 further his career. He was a young player at the time when he arrived. I remember still, um, I think tactically he was still living over the place. I remember myself, you know, when I came to... to Spurs, but he was strong, he was fast, and he had uh, the characteristic to be a good centre-half, to be honest with you, and I think he would be great uh, captain for Spurs and lead, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was humble on it, to be offered, but sometimes I'm a very realistic person as well. In terms of how Tottenham approached you as, as, a, as a player, does that come from Tottenham approaching your agent, and then you sit down with Tottenham and, uh, you know, Alan Sugar at the time and have a uh, a meeting or how does it actually work in terms of Tottenham approaching a player? Um, well, it's funny enough. The first approach he went through, I remember I was uh, with the national team at the Euro 96 at uh, hotels. Where were we again? Uh, yeah, Birmingham. We, we were playing at the Villa Park at the time. That was our, one of the second group stage, uh, first group stage. Um, and we, uh, there would come faxes uh, in telephone uh, through the hotel to my room, actually. And pretty much, uh, yeah, I'll, I've got an offer for to come to Spurs. And they said, well, 
And at that time, I didn't have an agent, to be honest with you, myself, you know. So, uh, and I was created to everybody, so I'm not going to talk to anybody until I finish my uh, my tournament, because I want to focus on the Swiss national team. Then I had my time, that two or three weeks, uh, to organise myself and get the lawyer as such. And then when things finished, then uh, my lawyer was in touch with, uh, uh, with the relevant uh, people who wanted to have me and my services at that time. And... Um, and Italy was, as I said before, was uh, the one uh, actually done the deal. And then six months later, uh, we came with Spurs. I find that so interesting how, obviously, at the time, it was faxes and things like that. It, it, it has changed a lot, uh, to be honest, last uh, 20 so yeah, I'm not sure for the better, to be honest with you, because uh, I think everybody wants now everything immediately. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can, you can I mean, potentially, it's actually in a good way by default what's happening now with these viruses i think everybody has to reflect a little bit to slow down to be honest with you that no no everything goes very quick and everything has to be done now um and also have a little bit time for everybody i think it's a good time even it's not the way it should be because everybody uh at the moment fighting either for life or working to save life where it's not a nice way to do it but be honest with you sometimes you have to force people to do something it doesn't happen overnight you know uh, in terms of before you joined the club did you know a lot about you historically yes of course yeah uh, yeah listen i was uh as a young boy always watch uh you know in switzerland the africa finals was one of the i think not just switzerland i think all around the world the African finals in, in may was always a kind of deep big event you know we had enormous barbecues and friends uh, and so and and there's no doubt, obviously, having a cup team like Spurs to be seeing an eight, especially an eight, is at the time, uh, watching them in the finals, not limited, obviously, Liverpool as well, at the time with John Barnes. And so that's when I really had the first grip of England football and, and, and the passion behind that at the time. You know, it was absolutely uh, great for me. And then... I had no clue that 10, 15 years later, uh, I had the opportunity to play in England and especially for Spurs. And I think that the uh, dream definitely came through when I, had to, when I was six, seven, eight years old or nine years old every year watching the Africa final. You know? So, Ramon, you come through the door at Tottenham, you're signed by Jerry Francis, Jerry Francis gets sacked, and then we see the arrival <laughs> of a fellow Swiss guy for you in Crim Gross. Now, that appearance that season, a lot of fans, you know, I think you know what's coming here. A lot of them are going to be mentioning the fact about that tube ticket where he was in that presentation <laughs> with Alan Sugar and he, he had that ticket in his ear and said, look, this is it. I came on the tube. <laughs> Tell me, Ramon, you've got to so, be, on, um, be honest I'm with so, us here. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm laughing. I'm not disrespecting Chris no, Gross no. at this point, you know, but no. I, I have to laugh, you know. I, Frank, is I needed to laugh as well a little bit. I think, listen, I need to get, it's a cultural issue as well here. Okay, it, right. Okay. So in, in Switzerland, less is more. Okay. Switzerland is a country where it's quite a wealthy country. And, and I would say 90% they're well off and or good middle class. Let's call it that. Okay. All right. So people don't listen to off as much what you have, you have, what kind of car you have, whatever it is. It's really, they can go with a bus. And, you, and the guy potentially might have a couple of million quid in that accounts, you know. You will never realise, you know. That's kind of the Swiss attitude, you know. Yeah. Now, he's coming from that background, less is more. Yeah, uh, he wanted to show kind of I'm part of you guys, like everybody. I'm going with the tube to the stadium and everything else. 
me already being Spurs <laughs> and be realizing how and what how it works over here. Most, I think the smallest car was a Bentley or Rolls Royce in the car park at Spurs at that time. And I was like, oh my God. And now he's coming with the tube ticket. And the Bentley in the car park at Spurs was like Mercedes, Bentleys, Rolls Royce, you name it, you know. In a way, I needed to laugh as well. But obviously, me knowing what the Swiss culture is and what he wanted to kind of show to the people I Spurs fan that he's coming. In a way, a humble way, not coming with a big flash car to, to the stadium, you know. And I think it's a culture issue there. And that's the reason why I think, uh, yeah, I think the fans, without a doubt, took it maybe the wrong way, or maybe right way or not right. That's, that's another question. Mm. But I'm just explaining why he actually done it there. Now, he, he meant well, didn't he? I mean, that's the case you're, you're saying there. He, he, he meant very that's well. That's what I'm trying to say. He, he meant the right way, but he didn't come across to the Spurs fans like that, especially... You know, especially when we were going through already a very hard time of that season. We really were struggling. And, and it's funny, we would still have, if I see on paper, we still had the good team. I think David Junola, you name it, all of that. Klinsman then came afterwards, you know. But saying that at the same time, you need to ask yourself as well, at that situation, a big club of Spurs, potentially maybe close to relegation at that year, which manager might, might even took that job? That's a question mark you should ask as well, you know, because it's a very risky jo- kind of uh, job to take because everything can happen. Once you, if you go down with Spurs, you're not going to work ever, frankly saying, because it's a big club and you're relegated. He took the chance and actually saved us, whatever you can say, but we, we stayed up, you know, and the rest was history. Just a, one final question from me, just on Christian here, Ramon. Did you know actually much about about him before he joined the football club. So was it a surprise to you when he was announced as manager? Well, no, I knew him extremely well because he was my manager at Grasshoppers for a good uh, three and a half years when I was playing in Grasshoppers Zurich and we were very successful. We, we, we won the league, we won the cup. Grasshoppers, I think, extremely successful with uh, the Christian Gross. And we also qualified for the Champions League. We went all the way to the quarterfinals with Grasshoppers. So we had a very successful uh, uh, kind of time as well. And so I knew Christian Gross extremely well. But I was surprised uh, because I remember uh, the night before the presentation, I had no clue Christian Gross was coming. Alan Sugars called me up, um, Frank saying, so, listen, Ramon, I think tomorrow you're going to have a, a manager you know very well. And so what are you talking about? Then I said, well, Christian Gross. He said, what? <laughs> so I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> Uh, and they say, yeah. And then he was asking, what do you think about it? And he said, well, we already signed them. What do I think about it? You <laughs> <laughs> already signed them. <laughs> what can oh I say? You, know? you already really? done the deal. It's presenting in the soil. So obviously, yeah, from the experience I had working with him at Grossop and very successful, of course, I had very good experience. Now, question mark, was he the right man at the time for Spurs? That's another question mark. You know, it was a difficult time, but, you know, I knew him very well. And, and, and I, to be honest with you, in the same time, he needed to come in and get some discipline in the dressing room. So maybe, you know, no, at the time, you know, England football was not as very disciplined in terms of the food, the diet, the exercises, all that. And those days was close to non-existing. And he came, you know, like Swiss, German were very disciplined, uh, in and for some of the players, we never really worked like that. 
it was a difficult to tag in, to be honest with you. When you signed Tottenham Ramon, the, the training ground at the time, was that based up in Chigwell at Spurs Lodge? Yeah, yeah. How did you there, find yeah. those those facilities, <laughs> having come from Cagliari in Switzerland? <laughs> Can I be honest? Yeah, of course. Please. Please. <laughs> oh, goodness me. I had absolutely fantastic infrastructure. Um, I think professionalism, point of view, was top-notch. Training facilities, um, uh, including uh, testing of you, uh, dietitian, from through the blood tests, you know, all of that, everything. So you could use these for years, doing these. When I joined England, I spurs in the time. Um, <laughs> I joined Chickwell at the time, the training ground. I thought the first one. I don't think I thought it was a joke because uh, <laughs> um, it's a dressing room smaller than I've ever seen in my life to start with. Uh, gym hardly non-existing. I think there was one bike and and the bike was like the 18th century still. Um, and I said, no, I thought there's something missing. It must be somewhere else, a big room, a big gym and etc. And I remember the physio at the time giving me, <laughs> I was still laughing and I remember that, giving me a David Lloyd gym card. And I say, excuse me? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a present because the gyms, when they're giving you a present for that thing, say, no, no, that's, you, that's your fitness place. What? Wow. I need to go, they're a public place to, do, to get myself fit, in a way, with a David Lloyd, at that time I had no clue it was David Lloyd Jane, at the time it was just around the corner from Chigwell, you know. I thought, I thought, no, this is a joke. So I need to reconfirm that again with the manager at the time. So he said, well, this is what it is. We haven't got the fitness coach, we haven't got these, we have these. So you need to get fit for yourself for, for Saturday. So pretty much I had a David Lloyd chim uh, uh, card and, and, and that's it. <laughs> So That's can, you imagine that today? can you imagine that today? No, no I mean, have you been have you been to Hotspur Way, the club's new training ground? <laughs> this is uh, this is a luxury compared to what I used to have in those days. You know, <laughs> uh, it's obviously they learned that over the last twenty years, and I think uh, you can say whatever you say, but the foreign players and managers definitely had an input and, and knowledge to, to do that. You know, I think starting with Arsene Wenger, one of them. You know, without a doubt. You know, but. That was uh, what I had when I arrived at the time, you know, and um, it has changed very rapidly thereafter. So Alan Shuker done uh, extremely well to listening to most of us as well, that we need to have some certain infrastructure in place when he done that, you know, over the years, you know, but, but that's why I actually faced in the first place, you know. And did, did players um, communicate with, with Alan Sugar quite freely? I mean, how was his reign at Tottenham and, and, and primarily, did they sort of communicate their displeasure uh, with Christian Gross at all to, to Lord Sugar? Yeah, yeah, the communication with, uh, with Alice Sugar was very good. I think Alice Sugar was always there, the dressing room, he was always supporting the team, whatever we can, or individual players. He was uh, tough in, in his way of, of handling things, but very, very, very uh, loyal and, and honest about it, you know. And uh, as, you, as you might know, no, honesty sometimes not, people don't like, you know. Uh, and 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 you have to take it. But in the same time, it's a very loyal kind of um, supporting, you know. So you know the communication was there, and even in bad times, he was still there, and he was actually supporting the dressing room, you know. Um, so at that point of view, I think Alan Sugar was, uh, I think at that time, a very good chairman. I'm very pleased you said that because Lord Sugar follows both mine and Ricky's accounts on Twitter. 
so he'll probably be listening in. So I'm pleased you've uh, passed the test there, Ramon. Doesn't happen often yeah. with Tottenham fans. I think he's re- definitely his tenureship at Spurs is, is split amongst supporters. But we are going to go for a very quick break. And when we return, yeah. we discuss surviving relegation, the appointment of George Graham, finally Spurs winning a trophy. Ramon, yes, was part of the team which Spurs won a trophy. And also Ramon's time at Celtic and after football. Do not go anywhere. We are back after this very, very short break. And Ramon, during your, your season at the club, uh, once again, we had to turn to Tottenham legend Jurgen Klinsmann to come back and save us on another mm. match day relegation escape. It was a famous mm. 6-2 win at Wimbledon. Uh, and on mm. that game, I just want to ask you, how big the doubts uh, in the players' minds going into that game? Was there any pressure from the boardroom at the club and explaining how important that game was? Did you guys already know that? How did you feel sort of, from the fans around maybe the training ground or on match days? And, and what was the sort of atmosphere like? And, and how big were doubts about your own career and where the club was heading uh, going into that absolutely huge game at Wimbledon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as I say, I think the, that year was a very, very difficult year. I think for everybody, uh, that means from the players down to the board, uh, definitely not limited, all the supporters, of course, you know. Um, they were kind of really like, you know, right so not right so but sometimes obviously very annoyed in some of the games we've played or lost as well you know and we obviously we have to take it in as a player uh, as a professional player you have to take that uh, what uh, every game sometimes you know the budget and all that stuff but in my, in my position you know I never really was wound up about that of course you know in that case because I'm a professional player and that's part of, of the game to be honest with you but at the same time, uh, you know, we're still human, we're still players, we still have to, to do our best for, for them, you know. But in the same time, it was a game uh, where we went in, we know what uh, is to play for, uh, either Premier League or Championship, to be honest with you. And it was a huge game, to be honest with you. It was a big pressure for the players to start with because we had enormous responsibility. We had, as I say, if we go... I still remember in the dressing room, we were looking at each other, look at guys, what kind of names we have in the dressing room at the time. It was Klinsmann came also back at the time. Nicola Berti, we're talking um, uh, David Junilar, Les Ferdinand, Saul Campbell, Darren Anderton, and, and, it's, and it's on. So we, had, we did, definitely had a good team, and we, but we're still nearly the relegation to the last game, you know. Um, so the pressure was very, very high. I still remember that uh, walking uh, in the dressing room. And, and going down 2-0 uh, half-time, that was pretty much, uh, I think, the hardest to take in, to be honest, in my career as well, because uh, we pretty much a half-time thinking, we are at the championship now, guys. If we want if, if pretty much get the finger out of here, guys, that's what we talked about in the dressing room. If we don't get the finger out here, we, we are the championships. We're going to go out and show these guys we actually can do the job. And that's what happened. I think that's where the famous Klinsman uh, came in um, with these four goals. And uh, we won that 6-2 and uh, that's it. Uh, the rest is history. We went to uh, next season. Sort of half-time team talk. Was anyone particularly angry and saying, come on, guys, get up for this? Was that you, Ramon? I mean, what was that? Oh, yeah, well, we... We were more than more than angry when we came in. We, I'm telling you that now. I can say football boots were flying around the dressing room. You know, and, yeah, water water bottles, everything, and people obviously 
you know, because you need to realise there was a very, 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 very stress momentum as well, you know, and, and, and where everybody played football, even on an amateur point of view, you know, if, if you start to get one nil down, the two nil down, you're really getting, because you're competitive, you know, you want to win all the time, you're getting angry, you want to, to, to show that you can actually win. And so in a, such a game where everything is at stake, the nerves, the pressure, everything, everybody needs to release the stress. And the only way of doing is, of course, either you scream somebody or, or, or you throw whatever. The, and it's not, the, it's not the best way of doing it, but in such a small dressing room, what do you do? You're not going to go out of the, and scream uh, uh, to the air. You need to release that kind of uh, stress, you know. I know we are, we are men and we, we can take it, you know, and uh, and. and uh, and it's not but only the only dressing room happened. I think Man United, we heard they got a lot of things when Alex Ferguson coming sometimes, you know, uh, have to hair dry, you know. But at this time, we, we, we as a player, frankly saying, had more to talk to each other than actually the manager because it's us on the on, on, on the pitch and not the manager. It's us on the pitch who has to do the job. In, and, 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 and frankly saying, it was actually good because everybody went out knowing what his job is to do in the next 45 minutes. And uh, and that happened afterwards. Out of interest, Ramon, at that time with Christian Gross, did you still feel that he was, he was the, he was the right man in terms of the management of the club? Was, was there a feeling that, you know, he could, he could galvanize that dressing room or did it feel that he was losing it? Um, obviously because George Graham came in slightly after that and we're going to bring it on to him in a second. Mm. But at that point in that Wimbledon game throughout that period, was there a sense that, he kind of lost the dressing room. And if a manager does lose the dressing room, what does that mean for players? Does that mean they no longer listen to the instructions? What is that like for you as a player? <laughs> well, I, I, was, uh, I was a player. I always respect the manager, whatever is good or, or potentially bad, because it's not me I'm pointing the manager. It's always the board or the sporting director uh, or the owners appointing them. So, you know... I always respect the decisions as such, you know, and, um, and if sometimes players are just frustrated because potentially themselves are not playing well and they want to let it out on the manager and that's actually the unfair part of the manager and the manager knows that. You're, when you're a manager, you're, you're not a player, you've got 11 with you, you've got 11 against you, to be honest, you're a manager uh, and that's a tough, tough job to, to be doing, you know. Uh, coming back to the question, was he the right man at that time uh, in hindsight, maybe yes, because nobody else would potentially take that job uh, because it was a difficult one. It's a, one of the biggest clubs in England as well. He was the, taking a club where already was struggling, to be honest, he needed to turn around. And frankly, he turned around in the last game. Would we go the other way and go in the relegation, you know? Um, so the question is, uh, who could actually really take that job at that time? It's not, was he the right man? Who really possible was available and wanted to take that job? And I, I think that's more the question you should ask, you know? Now, obviously, after that season and after that famous win at Wimbledon, we ended up finishing 14th. But at the start of the following season, 98-99, Gross was actually sacked. And then George Graham took over. How easy was it to work with George, such a notorious defensive coach, and of course, a man so closely associated with our rivals, Arsenal. Hmm. Well, I think the rather is a, it's more a kind of it's part of the fan kind of rather than as a, it's unhealthy also as well because it's a competitive side as well, you know. And then, 
and, and, and for us players, I think it's more the technical side, more important than actually rugby. If, he, if he's a good manager and he's, he's doing a job for us and, he, and you can play well under him, then, uh, uh, frankly saying, as a player, you don't really care what he's coming from because he, 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 you're playing for Spurs you, uh, and you want to win for Spurs and you don't think about uh, where he came from, you know. Saying that, in the same time, we actually improved extremely well on the defensive. Uh, I should just mention about it. Uh, defensive kind of um, uh, tactics, you know, he really, really had an emphasis on on working uh, on the training pitch, uh, the back four, you know, with the uh, and and me, Saul Campbell, and obviously the late Justin Endbrough on the left side, and Stephen Carr. Um, uh, we work, you know, at least every second uh, day on the back four, uh, uh, constantly to be a, a really kind of a unit, you know. And you, to be honest with you, I was very glad because that's the training session I used to have in Italy. You know, Italy, is, uh, they have a very tactical kind of defensive way of, of, of training session, you know. That's why sometimes defence was very difficult to break in Italy and I was famous for that, you know. And that was something I was missing. And when George Graham was coming in, I was happy. The actually he, he emphasis in that one. And that gives actually the stability for the whole team because if you're on the back, you're stable, the front man can actually play uh, free successfully. And I think we had a good run then afterwards. It's interesting you say that because, you know, you're right there, Ramon, that Graham's appointment did galvanise Tottenham. We had two fantastic cup runs, yet another FA Cup semi-final defeat to Newcastle. But of course, finally that trophy. Did those cup mm -hmm. runs leave you with the impression that finally the club was heading in the right direction? Well, absolutely. Um, not limited before the cup run. I think if I remember the stats, we we were as a defender. We always look about how many goals we were, were conceding at the time. I think we had about eleven games or something like that, one or two games only in that run. And and I think that's a you know I think for Spurs for the last two or three years never had such a run. And and that that immediately uh, 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 goes into the success because the minute you don't concede, either you win or you draw. So you can't really lose as such, you know. And, and that was a very, a very good moment for going forward. And I can see, goodness me, this is going the different direction. We are going uh, to succeed here. And now with a cup run, we were on both competition, really kind of from semi-quarterfinals and one in the finals, the one we won. I, I, I thought that we um, really did the right direction. And in terms of, obviously, the highlight of any player's career, Ramon, is winning trophies. As, as Ricky said earlier, he did find, we did find him win a trophy. What did that at Spurs, by winning the League Cup, thanks to Alan Nielsen's last-minute winner, what were your memories of that final and, and, and the lead-up to the game and, and the morning of the game? And, and what was it like to finally lift that trophy for Tottenham, of the club having waited so long to lift the major trophy in English football? Mm -hmm. Well, first of, first of all, uh, 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 I have to say, uh, I was feeling extremely good at the time, also from playing, but it really was true, because we came on a run over the back season, we were actually nearly close to relegation, and we started okay, and then the change of George Graham came in place, and we were still wobbly as a team, we were still not united as such. He started to bring us to the level where everybody works for each other, be more unit, be more compact as as a team, you know. And that run really, really, really helped us to, to, to see, goodness me, we can actually win something now here, you know. We can actually, and and funny at that time, I started to feel uh, an injury in my foot. And I, then I said, goodness me, not now. I can't be injured now because that's the best, or the worst time to do it because now we are 
close to quarterfinals, semi-finals of both cups and potentially finals as well. At that time, I was not in the League Cup final yet. And, and I didn't realise at that time, looking back, because only after the final, I knew it, my, my foot was actually broken already for two weeks, to be honest with you. And I was playing these two to three weeks coming up to the final with a broken foot and a broken ankle. And a lot of Spurs fans, Ramon, will remember that in the final itself, you made an absolutely vital last-ditch sliding tackle to deny Emil Heskey, who at the time was, was you know, yeah. a phenomenal striker in English football, and you were there to block him. And it was on the back mm. of that sort of galvanised Tottenham and Alan Nielsen to score that diving header following that mm. really good run by uh, Stefan Everson. I mean, mm. what was it like for you emotionally-wise? Did you feel like when you made that tackle that the luck was then with Tottenham and we were going to go on and do it? Uh, well, absolutely. I'm always going to game anyway to, 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 to win anyway. But once you start to gain the memories I have to walk... I'm still in the old Wembley Stadium, you know, that really famous uh, tunnel to go walk up there. The, my memories came back to the 96, you know, being 96 when I play against England again, you know, because that's the last time, frankly, I had that experience coming out of the dressing room and had that long walk, uh, that tunnel to come up to, on the pitch. And uh, I was very happy and I'm very glad I actually experienced that because this is one of the most historical stadiums you can actually be in, 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 in play. And then if you win on top of that, uh, that's something money can't buy, first of all. And, and it's something for, 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 for years uh, will stay in me, you know. But that experience, it was a uh, goosebumps experience, frankly saying, because this is, uh, that's what football makes you love about it. And that's why I fall in love with football in the first place, a little kid, you know, to have this experience to go on the pitch and then win. But, in my back of mind, I had my ankle broken and my foot with a big pain of painkillers. So I needed to still play nineties, and I had my mind strong to do that, you know. And I still remember that tackle because I think at that time Saul Campbell just lost one of the tackles against Emil Heskey, big, yeah. big striker Emil Heskey, you know. And he was uh, galloping on his own. Uh, then, I pretty much, you know, whatever reason, all my pain was left behind. I only thought to defend that ball and uh, lucky enough I could actually done that tackle at the time and then go on to win with uh, a good... Yeah, that, that, you know, you know, that tackle you know? at the time, from memory, was like a, a goal, basically. You know, it denied Leicester a clear goal-scoring chance right at the end of the game. They probably would have gone on with the momentum and won that game. So you had a huge part to play in that cup final. And I'm just mm. looking back on the run to the cup final. It's not something that's mm. talked about often, but we had some really big wins on the way. Round four, mm. we won 3-1 at Anfield. Yes. In the quarterfinals, we beat Manchester United 3 1. Um, mm, yeah. So that was obviously a hugely impressive run. And then we had two very tough semi finals against Wimbledon once again. We mm -hmm. eventually won 1 0 in the second leg. Mm. Um, and obviously, did, did the players, while the run was going on, think, wow, we could actually get there and, and lift the trophy? Well, absolutely. I think the, 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 the dressing was bussing. It was really, that's, that's what the, the players want, you know. When, there are two parts in football, you know. You are. And I actually experienced first both parts. It's that kind of the low end scenario when you're really bad for the relegation. It's not a nice one to be honest to be in there. It's really like you do not play or you actually don't enjoy that playing because you're not feeling as confident or your players around you are confident. They're really playing just for surviving, and that's not nice. It's a painful actually football to play with, you know. But then it comes to the other side when you start to be playing extremely successful, you start to win and you can see front of you already the trophy potentially to win into it. That's a nice period to play as a football player. And at that time, I really enjoyed Spurs really uh, uh, playing football because I can see 
we are really playing as a unit. We start to play uh, good football as well at the time. Uh, and, and, and we had a good chance to, uh, to win against Leicester City at that time uh, in the 99. Ramon, you mentioned it, that injury that you know a couple of weeks before the final that was coming. Uh, that yeah. stress fracture, how much did that damage your game? Because it felt that, you know, after you had that stress fracture, it was very difficult for you to regain that form, which then would lead to, you know, to getting back into 11 to have a consistent feature in that Spurs mm. side. Was that very mm. difficult after you obviously received that injury to really try and get back into that Tottenham side under Graham? Yeah, well, it, first was a big question uh, because I, I, I afterwards, um, after the um, the game uh, at the final, uh, uh, pretty much went to the Swiss national team to see my doctor, and at that time I had no clue my my ankle and my stress fracture there in the, in the first place, so yeah, I went straight to the hospital to do a scan. And after the scan came back and the doctor saw me in the Swiss national team, he looked at me, first of all, calmly, as a doctor he's supposed to be. And he said, well, you're very lucky that you actually potentially can play football in the future. So that was his first sentence. And I said, well, what does it mean? Can I play football in the future? Or is it just, uh, I can't play anymore? So if I potentially, maybe. So I was like, Wow maybe my career be finished already by then because he was very serious about it that my fracture foot was two to three weeks already old and to get heal this back was a very difficult kind of way of doing it you know now it was very tough to take and then at the time was a little bit angry but at the same time i said you know what i still won the league cup i still have a medal nobody can take this away you know whatever happens you know that in a way was giving me kind of a the positive side of it, of it, but in the same terms, Ramon, you're crazy. Why did you do that? You know, because kind of you really harm your potential uh, future career. You know, but lucky enough, uh, I had some good docs at the time. It took me a good nine months to recover, and uh, as such, um, but yeah, it was difficult to come back at the time because I think uh, it did. Uh, you know, nine months away from football, uh, and especially in a professional environment, it's a long time. Now, interesting, Ramon, when you first initially heard of Celtic's interest, you rejected the move to the club. What made you reject the move to Celtic initially at the time? Um, well, I didn't really reject it in the first place uh, because uh, I wanted to stay for Spurs, to be honest with you, in the first place, because I still have done about six, seven months of a contract with Spurs, you know, and, and I wanted to know what Spurs wants wanted to do, you know, if they want to... Uh, prolong it or uh, take him another contract, you know. Um, so I, that time, uh, realised that not it's not going to happen, or they're not going to make a decision then and there. So looking at, uh, at the time that Spur, uh, Celtic was there on the play, then I said Celtic is a great club to go. And I thought, okay, uh, at least uh, Celtic, I, I can play and potentially have a longer contract so going forward, you know. So when they came back, uh, frankly saying, uh, uh, I wanted to go to Celtic because I think at the time uh, Celtic gave me a good opportunity to play and potentially have a long future with them. You were very successful at Celtic. I believe you won uh, multiple trophies uh, with, with the mm. club and they are a huge club. Mm. Would you say you see yourself uh, after your football career and you sat down for a few years and thought about it, do you see yourself more as a sort of Tottenham man or a Celtic man or, or even a grassland <laughs> Zurich sort of man? The question always comes up to me, you know, which, which team, you know... Uh, Let's say that, or Grasshopper, without a doubt, is obviously my youth kind of club, you know, so I always have to be thankful to them to take me on as a professional, you know. 
Um, Spurs, uh, without a doubt, was my international club in the first place. And don't forget, I got Cagliari in Serie A at this world, you know. But saying that in the same time, Celtic has given me kind of a kind of new life after Spurs when the injury I had and off the back of winning the League Cup 99 to win this trophy, the treble with them. That's uh, uh, everybody or every single person who used to play or once played for Celtic can say once you play for Celtic, it's it's nearly close to impossible to not believe that club because it's a, a, an enormous club with passion and, and support, you know. And for me, having win for them uh, the treble at the time, it was extraordinary. And again, I always repeat to a lot of people, you know, you can play all your life if you want nothing. I'm not sure what you can uh, memorize in the back, you know, going back, you know, in my case, uh, I'm very glad and ha happy that actually if I play for Spurs, I can say I got the League Cup at the final and, and the medal. I go for Celtic, I got the three trophies and that's something money just come by and, 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 and whatever uh, you're saying, I think this is the legacy you need as a flat player or football player, professional, want to do, want to do trophies because that's something you lay on. Ramon, we might have to keep you away from Harry Kane for a little while. Because uh, he's come out saying he's looking to win some trophies, and we can't have you saying that to him because uh, we're getting worried well, at Tottenham about this crop of players we've got and, and whether they're well, going to start looking elsewhere. Well, well listen, I, Harry Kane, you know, I'm, 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 he's right in saying that, to be honest with you, you know. Uh, listen, I think he's thankful that actually that Spurs give him the career to go through as a young player. He proved himself massively let's call it that let's be honest you know i think he's done extremely well uh 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 with spurs scoring goal also now for england as well now he had a great 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 chance at the champions league final he was injured uh, now question mark should he start at the start that's another question mark to be honest with you because he came back from the injury all right now but he's a striker top striker in the world without a doubt he has to play in a team we can play, play every year, either in the Champions League or compete for the Champions League kind of trophy or the Premier League or whatever league he's going to play into it. Because at the end of the day, as I say, you want to have trophies at home because that's what you're going for. It. And if the club doesn't give him this platform, I think uh, uh, for both, uh, it's better to leave because both not thinking the same way, potentially. And, and I think the shame, because I think... Spurs, I really thought the last four or five years really was going that direction. Uh, Well-managed club. I have to give that to Levy in the same time. But at the same time, as you know in football, you have to reinvest for the future in the long term as well. And if you want to compete the top five, top six, you have to do a very strong team to, to, to compete the Premier League. You know, and, um, and I think that's what Harry Kane wants to see and to know potentially going forward, you know. It's interesting, Ramon, you bring that up in terms of, you know, you now looking in from the outside. So obviously for you, you do feel that at the time we look kind of look back at that season for Spurs where they had that midfield axis of Wanyama, Dembele, they had Deli Alley in there, um, obviously Harry Kane up top, and then we had the fullbacks, Carl Walker, Danny Rose. You can kind of name, reel this team off the top of your head, you kind of know it so well. Out of here, over Tongan at the back, Larice in goal. That kind of time where Spurs were so, so strong, they kind of only needed, you would say, kind of two or three players to really push on and be mm -hmm. able to compete for the title. Is that what you look at for Tottenham? That they never really took the plunge when they should have done 
and invest in mm. the team, invest in the squad, invest in Maurizio Pochettino and back them. And instead, we kind of went through this kind of period where we went, as it's well documented, two transfer windows without spending any money, 500 days where Pochettino got Tottenham to a Champions League final. When you look mm. at Spurs now and you see the change in manager and what we're going through now. And again, it kind of feels like you can kind of reflect some of it back to the 90s because we had a, a very, very popular manager in charge and then obviously we, we let that manager go. For Spurs, we've now gone back to a, a more defensive style coach in Jose Mourinho. What do you mm. think the future does hold for Tottenham under Jose? It's difficult to say now. I think, uh, first, of all, uh, first of all, I was very, very surprised in the first place that Pochettino left. Um, halfway, to be honest with you, after a, back on a very successful uh, 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 kind of season and going to the Champions League final. Now, in my opinion, if that was the case, he wanted to that Pochino goes, why does he not leave him just right away from the beginning of the season and have a start and have some manager starting for the first, uh, this is not halfway, you know? That's my question mark in the first place, okay? Um, saying that, Pochettino done a fantastic job, you know, giving a, given that he's not been giving us much money to potentially invest in extra players, saying that we had the best stadium built in the same time. So, from Levy's point of view, defence point of view, from business point of view, you have to see, OK, what do you want a good stadium, build up infrastructure for the future, and then also save also on the side for the players. He's done very well in that side because that was the most successful period whilst he was saving money, funny enough, you know. Uh, but if I look one of the seasons where they really, really could actually help for one or two players extra is when Leicester City, the surprising Premier League win, we call it. And that was about four or five games I remember at that time. Spurs really had the chance, had that one, two games winning and potentially win the league at that time. That was a very good season to win the league. But again, that that small kind of one or two players not having makes a differential potentially to win the league or not. And today is very competitive uh, with a lot of, of teams out there. And if you don't have that, you're still swimming around uh, the mid-table, potentially qualify for the Champions League. And if you want to have that, OK, but then you're not Tottenham Hotspur, you're another club. Ramon, in terms of since you've, you've hung up your boots and, and stopped playing, uh, how involved are you still, if anything, with Tottenham? Do Tottenham invite you back to play with sort of legends teams or do you ever go to the stadium or training ground or anything like that? Well, uh, uh, they have a kind of a legend team game sometimes in the summer and, and, and it's nice they're doing this because um, uh, Falco is uh, one of the captains there uh, and he, he organised some friendly games or like going around North London as one of the teams are playing or charity games we're playing against and it's nice to see old uh, mates uh, from the from the past to be there this world and I think this is one of the points I think it's Spurs should be more improved uh, because not much has been done in terms of having ex-players back if I look at now other teams, uh, for example, like Bayern Munich or let's say even Arsenal, frankly saying, funny enough, you know, the ex-players used to play for the club, I think they're doing a way much better job. Bayern Munich, it absolutely blows away how they really look after ex-players that play for them, you know, in terms of they're using it very cleverly 
because they're used to play for these clubs for a long time, even though they were in the 80s or 70s or now in the 90s or such, because you can use them quite cleverly with all the fans they used to have in those days. They were fans of their players. Of course, now you've got new generation, but also the, the sponsors of, from, from the day were potentially the, the generation that supported these players 20 years ago. And Bayern Munich cleverly used them extremely well in the, on the match day. They're there. Yes, they have some ambassadors and everything, but I think they're doing the, I'm a little disappointed they're not doing as much as they're supposed to. Not just myself, but I think other players, uh, ex-players, or I can, they can say potentially the same thing. Uh, they should do much more for them. And, 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 and uh, yeah, I'll go sometimes. I'm, I'm happy to go to the new stadium as well and everything, but it's not something they invite me uh, openly, let's call it that. I have to pretty much ask for a ticket. That's disappointing, isn't it? That is disappointing. And, you know, to be fair, Ramon, we, we laugh. You know, there, there was a time at Spurs who used to read The Economist on the team bus. I think that was very popular and everyone knew about that. After your retirement in 2012, you became a founding member of the Duet Group, a financial group specialising in asset management and private equity. You then, in 2006, also founded the Matterhorn Capital Result, a Swiss real estate company focusing on the development of luxury hotels worldwide, opening the first facilities in Verbier, Switzerland. Are you proud of your accomplishments you have made after your football career came to an end? Yes, uh, because let's go back in terms of what the, what is the football players and the first perception there. You know, obviously the play football, they're talented. Everybody looks up to them. And yes, okay, they're earning money now, earning way much more money than 20, 30 years ago. It's uh, ridiculous, frankly saying. But but I was glad that the players play. I would defend players' salaries. No problem with that. But is the perception of the players, what is he doing after the career of football playing? And that's not just ones who play in the 70s, 80s or 90s, but even the ones even now that may have a little bit of money. But at the same time, it's the question mark. When you retire, what do you do? It's a huge, huge question mark. And don't forget, uh, they are in the age of 34, 35, maximum 36. Still extremely, extremely young, you know, to go into a new life, a new career. Not everybody can be a coach. Not everybody can be a manager or or be anything being potentially in the media. Okay, it's not everybody. It's a thousand of players out there. So the question in Mark is very, 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 very high. What do you do? And in, in my case, I was lucky enough that I had some guidance, but also some thoughts in terms of what do I do before I retire, two to three years beforehand, you know, and. Coming back, obviously, the education, or we started the program, you know, when you had this business degree in banking and finance in Switzerland, that was a, one of the options to go into it. Doesn't mean you have to go that direction because you can always change. But it has given me the confidence to go that direction. I took it. I went to that as a managing minister of financial industry. But again, you got this enormous perception. I remember still on starting in that industry when you go into meetings, you know, you got that, that perceptions of football what the hell do you know about finance uh are you educated frankly saying uh and it's this dumb footballer kind of scenario perception you know when it you actually fighting more the perception actually the knowledge or the product you want to sell at that time and that was a difficult part to be honest in the first two years or three years when i started the business and be part of the finance world um but i also can see the financial world was also very thickle and very worse and a lot of egos so I learned a lot very, uh, after the career, but it had given me guidance because I had something to back up with an education, to go somewhere involved. And I think I will advise every single player 
before he retires to do something or think about it, which direction. Today, again, I repeat, the money is much higher. They have a less problem, but in the same time, uh, you still need to organise your life for the future. Yeah, Ramon, you, you've done, you've, you sort of had two very successful careers in terms of your banking and finance work and then also your trophy-winning careers as, as a footballer. You announced that you were considering standing as a candidate for, in the FIFA presidential election. How mm. close did you actually come to standing for the presidency? And is that something that may interest you in later life? Yes, um, uh, good question. At the time, 2015, when the trouble came into FIFA, um, as we all know, uh, major, major, major corruption scandals. Uh, I think it was an enormous clean-up exercise within the football industry. I think the shock went through the system. Long time people were uh, in the same seat and could actually do whatever they want in a way. Uh, and I think it's not was not very healthy for the football industry from moral point of view, but from ethical point of view as well. And I think uh, uh, at that time I was kind of ready to think, you know, what uh, uh, is potentially something they need uh, a person where not coming just only from the football side, but also has some business and finance knowledge as well. Because I think the football industry, as you can see and we know, is huge and enormous, especially uh, the financial rewards are much higher. Than, uh, than anyone in the industry and the entertainment industry in, in this time, you know. Um, I was by default again requested, you know, uh, because it was so in turmoil, the whole, the whole industry. And I had a call uh, by um, very high, let's call it, uh, European politicians in that side, where I knew and uh, dealt with uh, during that time to, Ramon, why don't you understand? for such uh, organizations. We need some fresh blood, you know. Um, so when the request came for such a high position, we're very respected. Um, you have to consider and take it very seriously, to be honest with you. So uh, uh, then I then thought, okay, let's analyze it. What can we be doing? And then, yeah, I was extremely close to going to the race and doing it. Um, but uh, uh, at the same time, was a very realistic person. I say, okay, maybe that will be potentially too early for me to go in, involved. You have the, the sort of guidance and support, maybe go on and do that in, in later life. So that's a really interesting option for you. Yeah, maybe that is uh, an option, of course. I smelled a little bit the background or the back office, we call it in this side, from, from the sports politics, how it works, you know, behind the scene. Um, uh, don't forget, I came complete as a very naive uh, into these potential at the beginning, you know, not limited with knowledge, but the naivety is there. But I extremely learned very, very, very fast who is who, what is who, and what needs to be done behind the scene, you know. Um, and now uh, I gained extremely good knowledge with that. And I, I'll be honest with you, if I didn't like it, uh, what I saw or what I'm or seeing at the time, uh, I'll be telling you another day, no, that's not for me. Forget it. I, I don't think there's something that will go potentially in the future. But uh, it has given me uh, uh, a little bit kind of... Um, a kick to say, you know what, I actually like it because there is something to, to be done here and can be, uh, be done in the future. And why not? You never know.
There you go. You never know. Well, Ramon, it's been a fascinating hour or so. It's been a real pleasure having you. We have to ask you before you go. You play with some great, great players during your time at Tottenham. If you could pick mm. one of those players that you'd say is the best player that you play with at Tottenham, who would that player be? Ooh. Oh. Uh, you can't offend all the players because all the players were good as well. Uh, um, but <laughs> if I have to pick only one, yeah, uh, they were all, all the good players at the time. Um, yeah, you have to say, uh, I think David Ginola, yes, oh, I have to play. Yeah, yeah I'm glad yeah, you said yeah, that. Yeah. My, my favorite yeah. growing up was a child, David Ginola. But of course, Ram, Ram, yeah. listen, it's been a pleasure. John, was that, was that a worthy answer from Ramon there, David Ginola? This was a player that won the PFA Player of the Year whilst playing for a team that finished 14th. So that speaks volumes about the individual uh, brilliance of David Ginola. But, but Ramon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I'm sure our listeners are going to love hearing your stories about the times of Christian Gross. Actually, what it feels like winning a trophy with Tottenham Hotspur. And even mm. so, less than Spurs, maybe some of those players you came up against in Serie A. I mean, they are some of the legends of world football. You've had an absolutely amazing career. And just thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. Our, our listeners and Spurs fans across the world will absolutely love this show. So thanks again. Mm. And if you ever need a ticket for Tottenham, Ramon, just contact me and I'll sort you out. <laughs> thank you very much. Oh. But I, I needed to say that because that's kind of uh, the way it is. And I think most ex-players as well, some of them are feeling that. And I, mm. I always defend the players because that's the rights they have to do it, you know. And I have to say again, here as well, for all the potential Spurs listeners, and uh, there's no doubt whatever... I used to go, went to, to White Hart Lane. They always, always, always treat me unbelievably fantastic. Oh, during that 90s period, we, we joked off air, that was quite a testing period to be a supporter yes. and to be a player. Now, we always kind of reference that. If you've survived the 90s as a Tottenham fan, my God, you've done quite well because that was a very testing period. So I think the first fans are very loyal and very kind of passionate about it, you know, and I, I think... Uh, I can characterise in terms they want to win something and if it doesn't work and obviously they want to let it out, you know, why not, you know, of course, but at the same time I have to tell them we are still human beings, we're still players, of course, we're human beings, we're trying our best, we're not making on purpose to lose again because we're not in that game to lose, we are here to win, you know, uh, but again, I have to appreciate again uh, every time when I have to say that's the one thing I love about the club or the Spurs supporters is I every time I go to the club or go close to the club or to watch the game, uh, always, always are very nice to me, have nice things to say to them or whatever Spurs support I see around in a cab sometimes in the black cab, whatever it is, you know, uh, it's the same thing. And I appreciate Thank you very much for that as well. Oh, listen, Ramon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed having Ramon with us here. Ramon Vega, everybody. It's been a great show. Ramon, thank you ever so much for this hour. We've really, really enjoyed it, and we wish you all the best. And listen, hopefully maybe we'll do it again sometime. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. Okay. Keep going. Thank you. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs> thank you, John, as well. Come on, you Spurs. Love that, Ramon. And Ramon Vega claimed his first goal for Tottenham. There's no flag, and Tottenham have the lead. Here's the resulting corner from Zinola. And that time it is in. Tottenham are 3-2 up. And it's a goal for Ramon Vega. initiating the response. Stand up if you want the truth. It's a goal for Ramon Vega. It's 3-2. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.